All right, awesome. So uh, as Kyle mentioned, my name is Jasper, <clears throat> one of the elders here. Uh, he is the lead pastor for any guests that are here with us for the first time. I always try to emphasize that I'm not the guy you normally have to listen to. So please come back if you're, if you're visiting for the first time. Um, so like he mentioned, uh, we've been going through a series called Stories. Uh, we have been uh, kind of tracking through a lot of those Old Testament stories that we all know and love that we heard as kids growing up. Um, so we're kind of leading up to uh, Easter with that. And so we've looked at a lot of different stories throughout this. And uh, the beautiful thing is that through it all, we're seeing traces and signs of Jesus through each story. Uh, we're kind of seeing Jesus foreshadowed in some of these stories. And so we're highlighting on that a little bit. But the common theme that we see throughout all of these stories is the story of how God loves his children and how he comes to rescue them. And so we're going to take a look today. We're going to kind of continue in this stories uh, sermon series with the story of Jonah. And we're going to look at that same theme throughout Jonah today. So uh, as most of you uh, know, and, and as all we, we kind of grew up uh, learning these Bible stories and hearing them, uh, whether it was in something like Kid Life or Vacation Bible School, uh, we've all heard these stories time and again. Uh, we've seen the plays, uh, you know, always something... Uh, kind of going along with it where you can act it out and there's props and stuff like that. Usually a song associated with it. I'm not going to sing anything to you today. So, um, But we've all heard the story of Jonah for the most part, I think. I know we're going to go back through it if you haven't heard it, but um, what I learned through this is that uh, my knowledge of Jonah and his life and this book was pretty limited to exactly that, to what I learned as a kid growing up. Um, I'm thinking of like vacation Bible school and stuff like that. And so it was a pretty kind of shallow knowledge of this story. And I actually, uh, in the weeks leading up to this, kind of getting ready, doing some sermon prep, I just asked some different people, what do you remember about this story? Like, what can you tell me about it? Um, I know we all know Jonah. And then, of course, the other part was the fish, right? Or the whale, as we were sometimes told, although it doesn't say whale in Scripture, it just says fish. I guess depends on your translation. But everybody knows that, Jonah and the fish. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into this. Let me just say, like, in studying this, it's so rich and so deep. This is a short little book. It's only four chapters. I actually uh, timed myself. I read the whole thing out loud in six minutes. So um, somebody like Miss Hannah Burns could probably do that in like two. Um, somebody slow like Kyle might take like 15. So um, you guys go read that for yourselves, though. This book, it doesn't take any time. You could do this quick. And there is so much in this book. It is just packed full of so many different lessons. This, this sermon could have gone several different directions today. Um, I'm trying to give you the overarching point that I feel like we can take from this that sticks with our series that we've been with, but this is a really good book. Um, packed full of really cool literary features. You get humor, uh, you get drama, you get action. There's a lot of different stuff in this book. So we're going to take a look at it. Um, what I don't want to do, I just sat here and told you how short it was, but I don't want to just read you the book because you guys, I think, can all read. Um, that's pretty, pretty easy to do. Um, I don't want to just sit up here and bore you to death reading that to you, so please read it for yourself. But what I'm going to do, uh, as I was studying this, a lot of these different study Bibles and things that give you these resources break it down into seven episodes. So we're going to break it down into seven little mini episodes, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase for you. So please don't think that 
what you're hearing is what is in, in here word for word. Um, I am quoting and paraphrasing a lot of what I've read in Scripture. We're going to read some of it, but I'm just kind of giving you the fast version and trying to break it down for you, and then we're going to look at some points from that when we get to the end, okay? So uh, let's just uh, take a look. First of all, before we get started, I want to kind of tell you, uh, leading into this story of Jonah and his life, a little bit about myself and a story in my life that I think is kind of comparable um, to Jonah's life. So uh, for myself, over the last several years, uh, growing up, uh, I grew up going to youth group like a lot of people did, uh, hanging out with guys like Alan, and uh, that was where my faith really came alive to me for the first time, and I started living out my faith uh, with my friends and in the way I lived and things like that. And so um, that was the foundation, I think, that led me to, uh, in my adult years, feeling called to ministry, um, feeling a burden for God's people, wanting to help spread the gospel. And so over the last several years, um, I really felt that call in my life. And um, we were, my wife and I, Sherry, were at a, a church at the time where um, I was volunteering as a youth pastor. And so um, doing a lot with the kids there, uh, volunteering, uh, teaching, doing things like that. <clears throat> and we kind of got to a point where uh, all the stars were kind of aligning for me to actually have the opportunity to possibly go into full-time ministry as a youth pastor there. So I was really excited about that. Um, I don't know how many of you guys know me very well and know that my wife and I both work at a hospital. So um, I'm an x-ray tech. That's what I do on a daily basis. Um, not exactly the funnest job in the world, but you know, hey, it pays the bills. So um, I was pretty excited about the idea, though, of kind of getting out of that and transitioning into ministry full time. Now, leading up to that, um, when we were starting to see that this was a possibility, I was getting really excited. I started just imagining what it was going to be like, and I started making plans before anything ever happened. And so what happened was, as this time got closer, we started to see that this maybe wasn't what God wanted. And it just seemed crazy to me because you would think surrendering to ministry, going into full-time ministry is a no-brainer, right? Like, of course God wants that. Why would He not want that? But what I started to see was that's what I wanted. That was my heart's desire. I was pushing myself in a direction that God didn't want me to go. And so uh, very reluctantly, very hard-headedly, I finally, uh, through a lot of prayer and conversation with Sherry, we realized that this wasn't the direction God wanted us to go. And so we kind of uh, prayed through that and decided to, to go a different direction, and it actually led us here. So um, I look back at that. I look back at how God was in that, how He was steering us through all of that. And it's not always bad things that you trust God through and He leads you through, and you look back and see, man, God was with me in that time. Sometimes it's things that could seem like really good things that you think are good, but God's got a different plan. So... That's just kind of a personal experience of mine that can kind of be compared to what we're fixing to look at with Jonah. So go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Jonah, if you haven't done that already. Uh, we're going to start right there in chapter 1. Uh, like I said, I'm not going to read to you this morning. I'm just going to kind of paraphrase. So the first little mini episode that we see in Jonah <clears throat> is actually going to be chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. This is what's known as Jonah's commissioning and flight. And so in this little section of Scripture, we see that God calls Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. He was one of the 12 minor prophets that we see in the Old Testament. You had your three major prophets and your 12 minor prophets. Jonah was the fifth of the 12 minor prophets. So God calls Jonah and He tells him, 
In verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. All right, so God tells Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, and you're going to call out against it. They're evil, evil, wicked people. Go call out against them. So Jonah says, nope, and he goes the other way. Uh, he literally goes the opposite direction. If Nineveh was this way, he goes this way. Uh, it tells us that Jonah fled to Tarshish. So he goes, he goes to get on a boat. He's going to cross the sea. He's, he's trying to get as far away from Nineveh as he can. Now, at this point in the story, we don't know why. It doesn't really tell us why he did this, but he, we do get the, the impression that he just said, nope, and he's going the other way. So in this, we see a couple of different things. Um, one that I want to point out to you is that when God calls Jonah, Jonah says no. He's calling him out of his comfort zone. He's calling him to go and do his work, and Jonah says no. Obviously, he knew. He kind of knew what was coming, I guess. We're going to get to that in a minute. When God calls Jesus out of the comforts of heaven to come down here and fulfill his mission here on earth, thank God Jesus didn't say no. He said yes. And so <clears throat> keep that in mind. As we're going through this, a lot of these things we see in the story are going to parallel to Jesus. So um, this, to me, uh, just seeing the difference in how Jonah responds and how Jesus responds to God's calling should compel us to want to get out of our comfort zone and answer God's call. So moving out of that, going into what we're going to call the second little mini episode here is Jonah and the pagan sailors. And so Jonah is fleeing from God. He's going as far away from Nineveh as he can. And so he's headed to Tarshish. So he finds a boat that's headed that way. So he boards the boat and he gets on there. And just like any of us would do, if we were flying somewhere, he just goes to sleep. You know, that makes any trip fun, right? Road trips, you just fall asleep. You wake up, you're there. It's really awesome for everybody except the person driving. That's, I think uh, my wife, just about any time we go anywhere, if we're going five minutes down the road, she's going to just pass out. And it's just amazing. We never really have to drive anywhere. We just It's like teleporting. So um, anyway, uh, so Jonah gets on this boat, goes to sleep. He's fast asleep. Um, then it says uh, in here that God um, sends a storm. And so the sea is raging. We've got the waves, we've got the lightning and everything. And so uh, if you guys know... There's another story in the Bible where there's a guy sleeping in a boat during a storm on a sea. <clears throat> but uh, we see Jonah here fast asleep. So the storm is pretty much taking over the boat. Uh, they're going to sink pretty soon. Uh, these pagan sailors are just freaking out. They don't know what to do. They're doing everything they can. It tells us that these guys are all praying and calling out to their gods, their different gods, just begging for mercy. They don't know what to do, and they see this guy over here asleep. So, you know, again, this is my words, but I'm just guessing somebody goes over, kicks the guy to wake him up. What are you doing? Wake up. Pray to your God, whoever he is, that maybe he will have mercy on us and calm this storm down. We're about to go down. We're about to die. And so Jonah wakes up, sees what's going on, and he tells the sailors. Uh, and you can see all of this. Like I said, this is verse uh, chapter 1, verses 4 through 16. So please go back and read this. You can follow along. Um, Jonah tells these guys, he says, hey, I know exactly why the sea is doing this. This is my fault. He tells them, I'm a Hebrew. You know, I'm fleeing from the presence of the Lord right now. Sorry, he didn't tell you that when I got on the boat. And they're like, great, awesome. Thanks for telling us that. We appreciate that. So they ask him, they just, what can we do to you to make this calm down? And he pretty much tells them, you're going to have to throw me overboard. Uh, I don't really get this at this point. Like Jonah seems like a pretty 
selfish guy leading up into this. I don't really know what he's thinking. Like, oh, just throw me overboard. It'll be cool. Like, I don't know. But anyway, um, he tells them, this is my fault. You're going to have to throw me overboard. They say, no, these guys are pagans. These guys are not uh, Hebrews. They're not Christians. Um, they believe in other gods. It says they were praying to their gods. But they have compassionate hearts, obviously. Uh, they didn't want to throw him overboard. And so they start rowing harder is what it tells us in Scripture, trying to get away from the storm, and they can't. They can't they're not going anywhere. And so they finally decide, okay, we've got to do what this guy's telling us to do, and they throw him overboard. And it says instantly the sea ceased from its raging. So what we see here in this little mini episode is a couple of different things. Um, number one, um, I find it ironic that in this it's not Jonah the prophet of God who fears the Lord and is spurring people to pray so that the storm would calm. It's the pagans. Jonah's just sleeping over here. That's kind of ironic. It should have been the other way around. Um, also, uh, we see through this another parallel to Jesus in that the only way for this storm to be calmed was for the pagan sailors to sacrifice Jonah. There had to be a sacrifice. A sacrifice had to be made for this storm to be calmed. And so, again, with Jesus, we see the same thing. The storm of God's wrath could only be calmed in one way, and that was through the sacrifice of His only Son, Jesus. And so, also what we see here, um, when Jonah tells these sailors, you're going to have to throw me overboard, what do they do? They say, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to row harder. We're going to just keep trying. We can do this. We're not going to do it. And it says in here, they say, God, we don't want His blood on our hands. You know, we don't want to be condemned for killing this guy. So just like they do, I think a lot of times we, when we start seeing that we have strayed from God, maybe we've kind of gone our own way, when we start seeing that the ship is sinking, we just press in even harder. We just keep trying harder. Just keep going. Keep going. Row harder. I can do this. It's going to be okay. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that little meme or cartoon on there where like the house is burning and the guy's sitting there, this is fine. This is okay. Like That's what we do so many times. We just keep pushing in. Just keep pushing in instead of just turning to God. So we see a lot of parallels in this story. So moving on. Uh, so they throw Jonah overboard and the, the storm is calmed. And it, that's all we hear of the sailors. I don't know what they did after that. They just moseyed on over to Tarshish, I guess. But So Jonah goes overboard. Uh, I'm sure he's drowning, struggling to swim, but it says that God sent a fish to swallow him up. Okay, so now we've moved into uh, chapter 1, verse 17. Uh, so a fish comes and swallows him up. So he's in the belly of this huge fish. Um, I'm not sure on translations. Mine is the ESV. It just says fish, does not say whale. Um, not sure. You know, there's not a whole lot of fish out there big enough to swallow people whole. Um, could have been a whale, could be a fish, largemouth bass, who knows. But um, it's a big fish. And so he's in the belly of this fish now. Now, again, uh, Scripture does not go into a lot of detail on this, but I'm just going to guess that if you were inside the belly of a huge fish, and it says for three days and three nights, I'm just going to guess, because God gave me a brain, and I think I know how this would work, it would be dark. I don't think it'd be light where you could see anything. It probably stinks really bad in there. I'm sure, I don't know how fish bellies work, but I'm sure there's some sort of digestive stuff going on in there. So you can imagine this is not pretty. This is not fun. This guy's sitting in pitch black. Who knows what he's in? Who knows what he's feeling? And again, um, I'm not an expert on this. I don't know, but I've heard other people say 
when I was working through this, talking to some of my coworkers about it, one of them asked me, well, didn't he, um, when he ended up going to Nineveh, didn't it change his appearance being in the belly of the fish? I've heard people ask that. Did it change the way he looked? Was his hair white or something like that? I don't see that in here, but I can imagine that if you're in a fish's belly for three days with all that going on, it might change the way you look. I have no idea. But so anyway, uh, he's in this fish's belly for three days. What we do see in verse two is that Jonah finally does pray to God. And you can read his prayer here. It's uh, verses 1 through 9. Uh, Jonah calls out to God. And this is moving into our uh, next little mini episode. We're going to call this Jonah's Grateful Prayer. It's one seventeen through 2.10. And he calls out to God. He repents. And so what happens is uh, God calls the fish to pretty much spit him out. And he spits him out on dry land. So Jonah survives this ordeal, comes out on dry land, I'm sure... Nasty, but he survives. He makes it. So what we see here is a couple of different things. Just like Jonah, a lot of times we're not going to call out to God until it's almost too late. It's never too late for God, but in our minds, it's usually not until we feel like we're done that we turn to God and call out. I think um, I'm not the only one that probably has never prayed harder than when there's a tornado about to hit and I'm sitting in my closet with my dog and a mattress over me, you know, like, oh, God. So, yeah, it seems like when we've reached our wits end, that's when we press into God, finally. We struggle, we, we fight against God, we try to go our own way, we row the boat harder until we realize we're not going to make it. That's when we turn to God. And thank God we don't have a God that says, oh no, 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 you wanted to do this, go right ahead. So we're a lot like Jonah in that. Uh, Also, it's only just like with Jonah, uh, not until he is in the belly of that fish and feels like all hope is lost, finally turns to God, God causes the fish to spit him out, and we're going to move into that here in just a second on how God uses Jonah, but it's not until we truly die to ourselves that God can use us and we can be fulfilling His glory for His cause. So a lot of times that's what it takes. It takes that just dying to self, that being at our wits end before we'll turn to God and let Him use us for what He wanted to use us for in the beginning. So we see that um, Jonah spending three days, three nights in the grave, or in the fish, is obviously paralleled to Jesus spending three days in the grave, right? So again, we're seeing as we move through this story, a lot of parallels to Jesus here, a lot of similarities. Um, A lot of this can be um, figurative, kind of leading up to it. We're moving on. So Jonah gets spit out of the fish. Uh, Now we see a mini episode uh, that we're going to call Jonah's Recommissioning and Compliance. This is going to be chapter 3, verses 1 through 3a. So this is where he spits him out. God says, okay, Jonah, you're going to go to Nineveh. All right, let's do this. Try this again. You're going to go to Nineveh. You're going to tell them what I want you to say. And this time he says, Okay, (laughs) I think he learned his lesson, right? He's like, all right, let's do this. So he gets ready to head to Nineveh. Uh, In this, I'm not going to harp on this one a whole lot. We do see a couple of things. Number one, God is a God of second chances. Thank God, right? Uh, Thank God that when we're hard-headed, boneheaded, and just being stubborn, he doesn't just kick us to the curb. He still uses us in spite of that, right? Um, Also, God's compassion led Jonah to thankfulness, and obedience to what God wanted him to do. But here's a question. Did it lead him to compassion? I want you guys to keep that one in the back of your minds as we move forward into this. Did it lead him to compassion? So moving into the next little mini episode, Jonah goes to Nineveh. So this is going to be Jonah and the pagan Ninevites. This is chapter 3, 
verses 3b through 10. So Jonah goes to Nineveh, finally. He's doing what God told him to do in the beginning. Could have avoided this whole fish mess if we had just done this from the get-go. But here we are. So Jonah gets to Nineveh, preaches what is probably the greatest sermon ever. Eight words, 120,000 converts, just like that. If only, right, Kyle? If only. Uh, Jonah says this, um, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That's it. Says the entire city of Nineveh repented of their sins, put on sackcloth, fasted, prayed, the word reached the king. Um, it just completely turned the city around. Now, this is amazing for one thing, that those eight words had that kind of effect. But what we need to point out is a couple of different things here. Number one, we all know that that was not because Jonah was a great orator and speaker, right? It is only through the Holy Spirit and the power of God that true redemptive faith can take place. That kind of thing does not happen by the power of man alone. That has to be God. That is the Holy Spirit. It's the only way that that can happen because true redemptive faith produced by God cannot be fabricated. There's nothing that Jonah or Moses or Noah or me or Kyle or Matt Chandler or anybody could ever say to produce that kind of a movement in a people's hearts for 120,000 people in a city that was wicked to all repent and turn to the Lord. So that, that is only a work of God right there. So we need to recognize that. <clears throat> um, so moving from that, the entire city repents. What we see here is something you might want to jot this down in your notes. When God, when people repent, God relents. When people repent, God relents. And so because the people repent, because they turn from their wicked ways, we move into our next little mini episode, Jonah's angry prayer. Because they repent, God relents. He does not destroy the city. The people repented. They turned from their wicked ways, so God had compassion on them. He didn't destroy them. So what happens is, what we see in our story, moving into chapter 4, Jonah throws himself a little hissy fit. Jonah gets mad with God because he doesn't want to destroy these people. And it says in chapter 4, I'm just going to read you part of this. I said I wasn't going to read to you, but I'm going to read you part of this. <clears throat> it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? So we see Jonah here saying, This is why I didn't go in the first place. I knew that you're a merciful God, that you're a good God, that when people repent, you're going to relent. So Jonah's saying, you wanted me to go tell these people you were going to strike them down, but I knew you weren't going to. I knew you were a good God. I knew you weren't going to strike them down. So you're making me look like a fool. You're embarrassing me because I'm sitting here, you're going to burn and you're not burning them. So he gets mad. He throws himself a little hissy fit. And he, it says that he um, went, all right, start in verse five here. Jonah goes out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what became of the city. So I get this mental image of Jonah getting angry with God and saying, I knew you weren't going to do what you said you were going to do. And he marches out of the city 
I don't know what builds himself a booth. I'm imagining cardboard, but I know they didn't have cardboard back then. Just sits down and pouts. Lips stuck out, mad because God didn't strike these people down. So we're moving on. Um, Let's see, Jonah's angry prayer, yes. So we're still in that one little mini episode. Uh, We see a couple of different things here. Jonah was okay receiving compassion from God. When he got spit out of the fish, his life was spared, we see that Jonah was very grateful. He decided to do what God wanted him to do at that point. But yet when God shows the same compassion to the Ninevites, what does he do? He gets angry, right? You would think a guy that just received such compassion and mercy would be happy for others to receive the same thing. But instead, he gets angry because now he's embarrassed. It's made him look bad. Um, Also, we see Jonah's childish behavior. Like I said, I can just see the lip poking out, throwing a fit. It reminds me of myself so much and the way I I am with God sometimes, you know, when we don't get our way. Um, Also, we see here, um, as Jonah goes out, uh, and he's sitting here and he's kind of waiting for this to happen. We're going to kind of move on in the Scripture here. Um, it says, Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth so they could see what happened. Now the Lord God appointed a plant, made it come up over Jonah so that he might have a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So just imagine, in my mind, I'm imagining desert, really hot, sun beating down. So he's sitting out there, he tried to make himself a little thing and maybe it didn't work, but God grows a plant up to provide shade for him. And I'm just imagining, you know, when God puts shade over your head, it's probably not just shade. It's probably cool and feels really great. And so he's got this plan. He's sitting there in the shade. And it says here, uh, he made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. All right. So Jonah storms out of the city, throwing his hissy fit. He's being a little baby, sitting there pouting. God grows up a plant over here beside him that provides shade. So he's sitting there sweating. Now he's in the shade and he looks up, oh, there's a plant. And he's all happy again. Now he goes from being angry to being happy, just like a little kid, just distract them with a toy. They go from crying to just super happy. You know, look at this plant. This is awesome. And then it says, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. I'm sorry, I skipped a part. Let's see. Verse seven, when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. And then verse 8, when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die. And he said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being at night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. So we see this just childish behavior in Jonah. We see him storm out, throw his fit. There's a plant. He's all happy about the plant now. God sends a worm that eats the plant. Plant's gone. Now he's mad again. So mad he just wants to die. Just kill me. Just take care of me now. It's just crazy how up and down Jonah is through this whole thing. So This is kind of the story of Jonah in a nutshell. Um, What we get to here at the end is it says, I read the very ending of it for you. That's where we're left. We're not really told what happens to Jonah. We're not really told anything after that. So you're kind of left, it's like suspense. It's like one of those movies that just cuts off. It's like, dun, dun, dun. What happens next? So I want to bring up a couple of points out of this. Now that I've done all that, it's time to start the sermon. You guys ready? All right. 
So we'll be quick about this. So your two points in your notes. Number one, God has compassion on us. We see this with Jonah. Throughout all that childish behavior, throughout fleeing from God, just straight up denying God and what he wanted from Jonah, he just runs from him. He's like, no, I'm not doing what you want. Just like, I don't know about you guys, but you know, we have the Holy Spirit now and that's an amazing blessing. One of these days when we're in heaven, these kind of guys are going to want to know what it was like to have the Spirit of God living inside us. But I can't imagine what it was like to have God actually talk to you, like verbally say, hey, go do this. And you just be like, okay, go the other way. Like, what are you thinking? So we just see Jonah being an absolute child about so many different things here. But God has compassion on him. God is not a condemning, strike him down right there kind of God. He's very patient with him. The whole fish thing, I mean, God could have just easily killed Jonah for, for not doing what he wanted. But we see a couple of different things here with this. God's compassion for Jonah is amazing. Um, not only with Jonah, but look back through this entire series. Look back at everything Kyle's preached on. The Israelites, Noah, Moses, David, God has such compassion on all of these characters because as we've learned, each one of these characters was flawed. Each one of these characters made huge mistakes. They made just screwed up time and time again, but God used them anyway. And what we see through that is that a lot of times the reason God does such a thing is that when God takes someone small with their mistakes and their shortcomings and He uses them for great things, we see that God gets the glory through that not that person. Because when that happens, people know that was not him. That guy's an idiot. I know that guy personally, and that was not him. That's a God thing. And that's what Kyle and I pray for. And every time we get up here, we're hoping that's what happens. They're like, I know that wasn't him. So we see that God becomes the hero in those situations, not the person. And that's why God chooses to use people like you and me to accomplish his work. And it's amazing. It's a beautiful thing. But uh, we see all throughout this God's compassion on Jonah. Uh, I think like Jonah, a lot of times we have a tendency to say, God's calling me to do fill in the blank, and we try to take and run from that. And it could be anything. God's calling me to serve in kid life. God's calling me to be on the worship team. God's just calling me to reach out to my neighbor. God's calling me to be loving to my coworkers. There's so many different things that we run from because it's going to get us out of that comfort zone. It really is. And we know that if we do this, just like with Jonah, there's a chance we'll get embarrassed. There's a chance we'll get let down. This might not go the way we think it should go because God works in mysterious ways, right? Who knows what's going to happen? And a lot of times we don't want to take the risk, but look at what can happen if we will. So we just need to keep in mind, God has such compassion on us when we're refusing to do his work, when we're turning from him, when we're running from him. Uh, Romans 5.8 tells us that while we were still sinners, God still loved us enough to send His only Son to die for us. And thank God for that. That while we're still sinners in our broken state, as jacked up as we all are, God still uses us to accomplish His glory, His plan, His will. So I think the most personal example of that that I could give you, and it's the same story all of you have, is the story of the fact that I'm saved. My salvation, the fact that He sent His Son to die on a cross for me, a sinner, made a way for me to have a relationship with Him is the greatest testimony of God's compassion for me I could ever tell you. 
So the, the main point in that is I just want you guys to realize how much compassion God has for us on a daily basis that we take for granted. The fact that I woke up this morning and breathed oxygen and opened my eyes and got up and could walk in, into my bathroom, the fact that I have eyes to see and a nose to smell, we're just so, so overwhelmingly blessed through God's grace and compassion and mercy that we don't realize, guys. So that's point number one. Point number two in your notes really quick. Uh, God has compassion on them. God has compassion on them. And I know you're wondering, okay, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by them? What I mean by them is everyone else. Everyone outside of this room right now. Everyone outside of your circle. See, Jonah, in this story, God had compassion on the pagan sailors in that boat. He spared their lives. God had compassion on the Ninevites. They were evil, wicked people. They turned from their ways and God spared them. God didn't just strike them down. And what we see with Jonah is that because God didn't strike them down, he threw a fit. Jonah thought they needed to be stricken down. He wanted to see them wiped out, annihilated. That's what he thought was the right thing, right? And so what we need to learn through this is that we are not called to have a spirit of condemnation. We're not called to judge people. We're not called to say, man, those people over there, they are sinners. They are, man, that's just evil what they're doing. God, they need to go to hell. God needs to just strike them down, burn them. They're not going to heaven. I can tell you that right now. We're not called to that, guys. Look at Jonah's example in this. Jonah wanted these people gone. And God tells him, you're worried about this plant and you're not worried about the 120,000 people that I was about to just annihilate. Just like Jonah, we get so hung up on our stuff, our possessions, or our time, my car, my house, you know, my job, things like that, and we forget about the people that God puts in our lives for a reason, for us to minister to, for us to love and care for. We're not called to condemn these people. We're not called to judge them. Scripture tells us that how can I try to help him get a speck out of his eye when I've got a log in mine? We're called to show compassion and show love to everybody un, un, um, discriminatively. There's, there's no line to be drawn there. We show compassion to everybody, period. Um, we should be vehicles of God's compassion. We should be His means to have compassion on others through us. They should see God's compassion through our relationship and our love for them. And again, when they see that, should love people in such a way, just like I said a while ago, that they know it's not just you. That they know that, man, through everything we've been through, through even though I haven't been a good friend to them and I've let them down and all this, they still love me. They still care about me. They still pick up the phone and call me. Why? Like most people would have just kind of ignored me from here on out. But why do they do that? It's not because of them. That's not normal human tendency. It's because they've got the love of Christ in their heart. And they care for you in that way. So I want to um, highlight really quick before we finish up. I listen to a podcast every week, and uh, they had a guest speaker on here a couple of weeks ago named Doug Logan, and uh, they were talking about discipleship and evangelism. And it just, man, it hit the nail on the head. And talking about this um, and having compassion for others. This guy, Doug Logan, uh, is a guy that. 
is a pastor in probably uh, one of the most dangerous cities in the country. It's Camden, New Jersey. And in 2015, it was ranked as the most dangerous city in the United States. Uh, he was saying that there, I think you can expect about a 23 month period of when you actually know people. They're either gonna move out and transition out of that city within 23 months or they're gonna die. And so he deals with a lot of um, gang shootings, a lot of suicides and murders. Um, this, this guy's a pastor in a church like this that where instead of getting to know people and seeing them every week, he might get to know somebody and in two weeks they're gone. They either move or they're dead. It's really hard to establish a relationship with someone like that. Can you imagine not knowing anybody more than just a few weeks? I mean, that, that's hard. There's no real depth to that. It's so hard. And so this guy in this uh, podcast is just talking about um, how so many times churches have a tendency to veer one way or another. We either veer toward discipleship, where we want to train our people in these walls on how to be good Christians, how to read their Bibles, how to minister, how to do all these different things. We've got these people in here that, man, they know God and they're good people. But guess what? We don't evangelize. We don't reach outside these walls and outside of this building to try to reach our community because we're so focused on ourselves. Or you get churches that are so focused on evangelism and just handing out tracts and, hey, did you believe in Jesus? Did you forget? Okay, you're, you're baptized. You're, you're saved now. You're good. And they don't train their people well on how to minister, on how to read their Bibles, on how to grow in their faith. And so a lot of times churches veer in one way or the other. And so we're talking about this, and I'm going to read him. This is Doug Logan. I'm going to quote him. It says, Isolated, they are both incorrect. Missions without a strong foundation in the church creates wandering believers who roam outside of communities. As a result, their faith rarely reaches maturity and produces weakness of conviction. Conversely, those who keep the church separate and distinct from missional engagement stifle the gospel. Such thinking fails to catch the urgency of God's call to all believers to spread His word. And so what we see here, we have to be focused on not only discipleship and growing our own personal faith in Christ and growing our, our witness and all of that and learning how to read our Bibles, but we have got to continue to evangelize and to reach our brothers and sisters, to reach our coworkers, our family, reach outside these walls. We can't get comfortable in here. And so the reason I'm telling you this is just to remember, have compassion on them. God showed compassion toward those sailors and those Ninevites, and Jonah did not. We need to learn from Jonah, learn what not to do. We need to have compassion on them, whoever them may be. Fill in the blank. Guys, we live two blocks from some bad neighborhoods here, and what are we doing to reach out to these people? Do we even care? Or are we just comfortable being in these walls every Sunday? We've got to learn to have compassion. That's what God calls us to do. That's why we do what we do. That, God showed me compassion. What If I don't take that same compassion and share it with others, that's the most selfish thing I could ever do. Like, it's like having the cure for cancer and not telling anybody about it. So what we see through this is a couple of different things. Um, in having compassion on them, on others. Uh, again, I want to quote a really good guy uh, on this. Um, I hear about last year we went to a discipleship conference and we saw this guy, Jim Putman. Uh, he was teaching some lessons and we were in a class of his and he used a great example. He was using the example on people who don't like to come to church that like to say, well, I don't like to go to church. It's full of hypocrites. I can get more God on the lake than I can in church. You know, I don't need a middleman. I can read my Bible. I don't have to have a preacher. You know, 
Okay. But here's a great example. And I love that he was talking about that, but I'm going to take this and just use it on the fact that we cannot forget about them. And so this is what he said. He gave an example of uh, his mom and his dad. This guy Jim Putman did. He said, yeah, my dad um, called me one day and he said, uh, son, we've got a couple in our church that um, called me up and they want me to come have dinner with them. But they told me not to invite your mom, that she's not welcome. He's like, I really don't know what to do. And this guy Jim Putman said, man, I just got angry. I'm like, no, they can't invite you and not invite mom. You guys are a couple. You're married. That's your wife. Where you go, she goes. You guys are one. They, who are they? You can't do that. And his dad just said, mm-hmm. It's exactly the way it is with Jesus and His church. Scripture calls us the bride of Christ. And so we don't know who God has called. We don't know who all that, that is, the bride of Christ. We know it's His church, but we don't know who all belongs to the church. I don't know who all God has in store to save and not save. That's for God to know, not me. And so I can't discriminate in who I share the gospel with and who I witness to. And just like he, the point he was trying to make is that I cannot love Jesus and not love his bride, the church. I can't do that. That's not how this works. He died, gave his life for that bride, for these people. And so I should love them just as much as he did, and I should pour out my life trying to show compassion and reach these people, whoever will listen doesn't matter. We should be compassionate toward everyone. Now, I want to emphasize one other point on this, and then we'll wrap up. Um, if we have a problem with a brother or a sister in Christ, whether it be somebody in here or a family member, this applies to them too. This, this falls under that umbrella of having compassion on others. How can I try to demonstrate the love of God and the compassion of God when I've got bitterness and hatred in my heart towards someone? That's not going to be genuine, and they're going to see straight through that. How can I try to tell someone about the love of God and try to be an example to them when I know in the back of my mind that I, I'm just bitter towards someone? It doesn't work that way. We're called to come to our brothers and sisters and be honest and transparent and go to them and settle these differences. Have compassion on those who have wronged you. So many times in our world, we feel like we have these rights and like we're owed things and like they wronged me. They des I deserve an apology, but Scripture teaches us different. Turn the other cheek. Go to that person. Forgive them anyway. Who cares if they apologize? Anyway, I just want to emphasize, guys, that we're called to have compassion on, on so many different people, so many different situations in that we cannot accept God's compassion and then refuse to extend that same compassion to others. How hypocritical would that be? So we're called to compassion. So as Alan uh, comes on up and we get ready to wrap this up, you guys go ahead and stand to your feet and kind of cap this off for you this morning and we'll be done.